Welcome to the Old Fashioned Podcast. On this episode, we sit down with Mark from Car Audio Fabrication on YouTube to talk about his YouTube channel, his background, how he got into it, why Car Audio. He makes videos based on different things that we do within Car Audio, maybe sound treating a door, maybe installing a subwoofer in a certain part of the car. All of these things he breaks down for the do-it-yourselfer and lets them understand what all is entailed into what it is we do. So let's talk to Mark, get his insight, and get the background in it. Here we go. recording now so it's for real um i feel there's no other way to start this than for us to ask mark to give us a what up youtube <laughs> what's up youtube yeah. <laughs> there it is what's up skip <laughs> what's up guys so i don't i don't know if you remember this but obviously i think our whole inside joke of the whole skip you know yeah. we call each other skippy oh, so I remember we, we were at a mobile solutions training gary and i'm were you there when we went to that really random hotel that looked like the Wild West? No. Okay, so we we got to this hotel that was like the Wild West. We got there at like midnight or one in the morning, and we realized they didn't have any rooms reserved. And oh, I don't was this like the graduate or something? Yeah, like yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I was there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looked like like uh, the rooms look kind of like Buffalo Bill. Right. Yeah. That is I know what you're yeah. Talking about. Buffalo Bill looked like it was like his room, but the the dude at the front counter, I don't know if you know Ed Bassmaster from YouTube. Nope. Do you know Mark? Yeah, he. That's the guy. The uh, the like the car skit, right? Like the yeah, yeah. The what? Would, would you look at that guy? Yeah. Would you look at that? Yeah. Look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just look at it. Um, <laughs> but he does all the different bits, and he has one guy. If you go on YouTube and search it. He does one character called Skippy, and he looks identical to this dude who is basically behind behind the thing instructing everyone. And it was just it was a riot trying to get us all situated. And it just reminded me of that guy. And that's where Skippy came from. I remember that disaster of trying to check in. It was wild. No rooms. And that was the Was that the console class? I think so. When we did like all the different wild consoles. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think we all we all showed up a little bit too late. I think we, they had given away our our rooms already. Yeah. So, wait, real quick side note though. So you guys, you know, you said the whole "What's up, YouTube" thing, and even even at uh even at my wedding, like everyone was like, "You got to do it when you do your your wedding speech. You got to just be like, What's up, YouTube?'" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so for those those who haven't figured it out yet, we have Mark from Car Audio Fab. <laughs> Our, Car Audio Fab, Car Audio Fabrication. I never. Yeah, yeah. It, we can just say Car Audio Fab or CAF. It's easier. Rolls off the yeah. tongue a little bit. Better, so I think so. let's get right into it. How did that even start? Right. What? Tell me the first video that yeah. you posted that transformed into that whole channel. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this was back in like 2011 ish, like towards the end of the year. 
And uh, it, I don't know if you, if this was ever kind of a big thing for you guys, but you know, before Facebook kind of took everything over with like the groups and everything, a lot of a lot of like the chatter that you would have with like-minded people in car audio, custom car audio was on forums. And mm-hmm. um, I was pretty active on a forum that a lot, a lot of the guys that have been around for a while might remember is called Fiberglass Forums. Yato was actually on there for a while sharing some of his work and stuff. And uh, so I was on there and, you know, this was very early days of kind of like learning and figuring stuff out. And uh, somebody was asking about curfing, you know, which is kind of the process for well, it's more of a slang term, really, but right. the, the the idea is, you know, you're cutting a bunch of slots into a, a board, but you're not cutting all the way through the board. That way you can like effectively bend a piece of wood. And as you guys know, it comes in handy for like subwoofer box ports or just adding curved geometry to a build. And um, anyway, I'd shown that in a build. I was very adamant about always showing build pictures. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody kind of asked, they were like, hey, how do you do that? And I was like, oh, just um, like, you know, it's probably easier to make a video about it. So I made a video. It's you could it's still on my channel. You can go and watch it. I had like motocross go- gloves on. It was doing, <laughs> doing it in the garage with like a 480p camera, you know, and a horrible audio. And <laughs> Um, just showed the process and kind of went through it. And um, it's very boring to watch. I'll I'll warn you in advance if you go check it out. But uh, yeah, just showed that and then put that on YouTube. And it was just funny, like, um, you know, subscribers just started rolling in. And and I was like, well, you know, it's kind of cool. Like people are kind of interested in that. So started making just more how-to content and it took off from there. So so let's work backwards. What what got you into car audio? What was your first kind of exposure or what, what made you aware that car audio even existed? Yeah. So I'd say like probably when I was 16, you know, getting my license in, in high school, uh, a couple of my buddies had subs in their car and, uh, you know, it's, I feel like a lot of people have this same story where you got to outdo your buddies, you got to get a better system and, um, back then, I don't know if you remember legacy, it was like, just don't yep. definitely, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to talk bad, but low, lower end quality, if you will. <laughs> so, um, I, I bought some of, some of their subs and, and like had a, just a sealed enclosure, put it in my 84 LeBaron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually this is great. Isn't I mean, that the car from Freddie got fingered? Yeah, there's a picture. I wish we could we could have the guys seeing the picture, but there's the picture oh, for yeah. you guys right we'll, there. We'll put so. that as your. Uh... <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> use that for the episode pick. picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could send you guys a better one, but yeah, I mean, it had the the green neons with the the you know those subs were like red painted red. The the amp was red. It was very back when they were actually neon <laughs> fluorescent tubes. Yeah, actual what, what year was neon. This? Uh, let's see, two thousand three, two thousand four ish. So I I feel like this was just about the time frame it was getting into like, you know, more of like LED or the, what was it like the electroluminescent wire? Yeah. 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 That was the new tech. When when you, when you talk about that fluorescent like string light, here's a funny story. So when, you know, I think we're pretty close to the same age. And at the same time I had my Eclipse GSX, which was like my show car. And that that couldn't become a daily driver at that point. I mean, I drove it to like high school and stuff, but it became too much to drive all the time. So I had a 1994 Chrysler Dodge Caravan. 
mm-hmm. and I removed this the second row seats and I did the full floor in like zebra. The whole headliner was like leopard print. Classic. And then I had a Jensen double din radio that I cut into the into the dashboard. I had a live plant <laughs> in in the back that I would water all the time. <laughs> and the the funny thing is people knew what car that I drove for real. So it was more of like a joke. Wait, that wait. We would cram my buddies in there and we would, you know, go to parties, we'd go to the different clubs tell and me, stuff like tell that. Tell me somebody peed on the plant at some yeah. point. No no chance. I, oh, I got very on. very stern. You gotta about, paint the paint the image better of this plant. Like what what was it in? It was a nineteen ninety four dot Chrysler Dodge Caravan. No, but where where was the plant in the vehicle? Okay, so it was right behind the driver's seat in the corner, like it was a house. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I'm dead serious. This is it was the craziest awesome. thing I've ever heard. Oh my I will gosh. have to when we get off this, I will Facebook message both of you <laughs> pictures of this van. It I, was awesome. I think that you need to make that like an accent that you carry through all your builds from now on. They all need to have like a plant at some somewhere in the build. <laughs> you know what? I'll go one further. Instead of going on Messenger, I will post it to Fabrication Nation. <laughs> Do it. There you go. <laughs> First build. Yeah, that's a classic, man. Oh, that's, oh, that's good. Crazy. That's okay, good so so first car, some legacy, some it, it actually looked like a really nice install for some really basic equipment. Yeah. And w- how did you get to that point where you could do any fabrication? Was that uh wood shop in high school or like where where did any of that stuff start from? Yeah, so uh I, I went to school for for engineering, um mechanical engineer. Um so I I would just say uh, even in high school too, I, I took like a lot of drafting classes and woodworking, of course. And I just kind of always had like the the mind, if you will, for just kind of like figuring out how things work and kind of putting things together. Um, and, you know, again, just going to school for engineering, uh, that gives you a lot of skill set, I would say that really kind of translates over to, to the higher end of fabrication and um, especially with like a lot of the automation and stuff that you see so prevalent in, in today's world and being able to to draw and model on the computer and, and translate those ideas to to real life. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's how uh, that's kind of like summarizing. I feel like 15 years, it makes it sound easier, <laughs> right, than, easier right. than it was. But there was a, definitely a lot of a lot of trial and error. I mean, even, even through college, like outside our door, the dorm, I had a couple of buddies that would like, you know, do stuff with me. And I just remember running like extension cords out into the parking lot. Like, just so doing- back then, back in like 2003, four ish, did you go to car shows like Hot Import Nights and things no, like no, that? Nothing like or that. No? Like I, I grew up in the Midwest. So, you know, the car culture was just like not, not that great at all. And actually in, in college, I met a friend that lived down in Atlanta and I went with, um, I, I met up with him on on like uh, one of my summer breaks, and uh, we ended up going to I think it was like a Nopi event, like at mm-hmm. the right in Atlanta. And uh, I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is where it's at. Like, people are actually into cars here. It's you know, it's nothing like like up in the Midwest or everything. Yeah, it was always pretty strong. And- I'm not sure how it was, you know, where Gary's at, but. On the East Coast, I mean, we have like Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is like always really big for car shows and 
yeah, we just had a lot of action that would get huge turnouts. Obviously, yeah. had like hot import nights, Funk Master Flex shows. They had uh, an affiliated company, NCCA, I believe, National Custom Car Association, which would do like actual massive show turnouts that have points, much like Iaska and Mecca, where you travel and there's a point system and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I, I, I would say that's what really got me is when I was in high school, I showed my eclipse. And, uh, when I moved to Florida, I ended up taking it with me and we went, I went to hot import nights, Miami and showed it all down there. So, I mean, it was, it was a big part of my upbringing, that whole car culture. Yeah. See, it's it's interesting you say that. And maybe that's why personally I'm like so much more tied to like the internet side of things is because uh, for me to have that outlet to like see cool cars and, and like to actually talk with people that have, you know, the similar interests, like I had to do it through the internet. There there really wasn't that many people around or, or like you mentioned, even like big, good shows to go to. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and unfortunately nowadays, I, I mean, I, I don't really keep up with like the, the, the custom car shows, but I, I I feel like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there's not as much as there used to be. I I don't think so. Yeah. So it it does seem like there's some more like uh, SPL side shows that are kind of out there. Um, seems like that side of things is, is going. Yeah. I would say that, yeah, I would say that, you know, again, I'm not even a part of that side of the culture of the SPL side, so I can't really speak for it, but it seems like it's niche. It seems like it's niche, like Iaska and stuff like that. You have your, you know, intimate, you see the same people, same faces. and Right, right. That's definitely how it is out here. And we've actually seen a little bit of a resurgence of the sound quality competition out here where it's kind of come and gone on the on the West Coast. Um, we definitely have a really strong car culture, but there's nothing that, that, there are no shows that are like Hot Import Nights ever was. And even dub shows, still popular out here, but it's not, you know, like it was in its heyday. We we get all sorts of events, but just nothing on that kind of scale anymore. Dude, I miss that. I would I would kill to go back into a weekend in like 2002 where I oh, leave man. one night and I tape up the whole front end of my car in blue painter's <laughs> tape <laughs> and drive. My wife now was with me at the time and we would just go. We would drive wherever. It could be hours away. We'd stay in a hotel and we would literally spend the whole weekend just you know, sitting by, the, sitting by the car. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. It was just, it was yeah, cool. I, I mean, I, I, I can relate with my very limited experience of just visiting that guy down in Atlanta. I just, I mean, I remember we, we like the night was like, okay, let's like, we'll go out and like get some food at like a drive-thru or whatever. And you get to the drive-thru and there's like 40 cars just like sitting in the parking lot, like <laughs> mm-hmm. all, like all cool cars. And you just park we, next, we... next and everyone's hanging out. It's all chill. And so we we have that out here every night of the week. Basically. See, that's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah cool. I'll, I'll I'll show you guys. A, uh, we have a website that's like SoCalCarEvents.com, something like that. And like you can just go through there. And on a Saturday within, I would say, 50 miles of me, there's 100 shows going on between like parking lot, cars and coffee type mm-hmm. stuff in the morning to like evening cruise nights. And some of them are very specific groups like hey here's the mustang guys and here's the uh, here's where all the bikes are hanging out and here's all the the vintage car stuff and yeah kind of all over the board with that stuff the one that that's kind of sprung up and in gaining popularity out here in the last few years has been i don't know if you guys have heard of radwood 
Mm-mm. but it's no. a it's a series of car shows that's all based on like 80s and 90 uh, 80s and 90s automotive lifestyle like mm. car show so like you'll go and everybody's dressed up in their 80s gear and it's all 80s cars and there's ghetto blaster displays and like it's just it's absolutely insane and yeah it's kind of it's a very fun uh kind of event for guys that were into the car culture in the 80s and 90s that's cool when i when i had moved to orlando and this was probably 2006 2007 the car culture was actually pretty large when you're talking about like just the community and you would just go to you would see steak and shakes and stuff like that and there'd be like 400 cars out i i went to universal technical institute in orlando obviously we're a bunch of car guys and i remember one night every Everyone was like, hey, let's go to Tampa. And there's this bridge called the Gandhi Bridge. And the the thing about this bridge is that there is a massive stretch of bridge, like a mile and a half, and there's no median. So like you can't get pulled over on the bridge, <laughs> right? There's and no room to sit. <laughs> exactly. Like you can't get pulled over because it's like, there, there is no shoulder on the bridge. Yeah. So people would literally race on the bridge and there's park and rides on either side of the bridge, which became like car shows. And this was probably the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's it you couldn't have written it better for a movie, okay? So I remember driving, I was in my Ford Lightning at the time and I'm driving on the road and all of, all of a sudden, all these cops pass me, like, 15, 16 cops and leading the cops was like this primer yellow 1993 uh, Honda CRX just barreling down the road with all these cops chasing it. Right. And I'm like, holy shit, like that's a legit car chase. (laughs) So I, and and this was me coming in, right? So this is my first experience here. So I come in, I get across the bridge. I go to the park and ride, which is a legit car show. There's like literally 400 cars parked. Everyone is standing around like it's the Fast and the Furious movie. (laughs) So I park. I'm sitting there for like 15 minutes. Me and my friends are just kind of hanging out, chilling, talking. And all of a sudden, you see the lights coming back the (laughs) other way, back to the park and ride. And I'm like, everyone's just like, oh, shit, this is crazy. (laughs) So this car pulls in to all of us at the park and ride and all the people, you know, and this is hundreds of people, they all surround the car, right? So they block the car. They basically hug it, right? And the guy, the guy, no, the guy hops out and blends in with everyone else. Oh Oh my gosh. So So I'm assuming that guy ended up saying his car was stolen. And obviously they can't prove that he was the one driving the car. It was, it was the most detailed, (laughs) intricate pre-planned thing I've ever seen that like this community just embraced and they, they, they knew it was happening. Like that's what you do if somebody gets caught (laughs) and they're, and they're driving away from the place. It was crazy. That's cool. That's interesting that everyone would come together like that. Yeah, it was weird. Hey, so Gary, so you you know you said that you you still see quite often like a bu- a bunch of people you know kind of together like that of, of all those you know I'm sure you look around but um of those cars that are all there like how many of them have audio nowadays like upgraded audio so on the old car stuff right like I would say that 
a good 50% of the old school, like uh, 50s, 60s cars have something in them for audio that's, you know, aftermarket gear. Like there's yeah. some, you know, there's a, you go to like Donut Derelicts has been around since I think the 60s. It's a huge one. It's at a donut shop out here in Huntington Beach. Um, happens every Saturday morning, rain or shine. And sometimes there'll be 50 cars. Sometimes there'll be 350 cars um, when it really gets going. And the majority of those are customized. There's some restored cars, but I mean, you you see, you know, the guys from Wheeler Dealers there, you see Chip Fussell show up there. Like it's, it's just part of Southern California car culture. Right. And yeah. so some of them, some of them, there's some big audio systems. Some of them it's, you know, Hey, we put a radio in a set of by nines on the rear deck and, you know, some of them have some custom grills. Some of them is just bolted in and see yeah. a wide range of stuff. Um, we've, um, we've been doing cars at my shop that have been going to that Radwood show. And so it's kind of fun to do some, you know, cars like right now in the Bay, I have a, uh, 91 500 SEL, you know, long wheelbase with the big, huge rear door. And we're doing it old school, just how we would have done it back in the day. We cut up the rear deck a little bit and single <laughs> pen ported with the box hung and you got to notch it around the gas tank. And like, it really brings back some memories for me. It's really fun. That's cool. So, so you had mentioned though, um, so that's the majority of the old, you know, the older vehicles that you're seeing yep. have, have the audio upgraded. Do, does the newer stuff, does it seem like for the most part, people kind of, cause I feel like a lot of people will do like, you know, the wheels and tires it might do paint and every, everything like exterior wise. But then when it comes to the interior, it's kind of just like nothing. I think it depends on the, on the car. Um, basically depends on the vehicle. Like we see a ton of trucks out here and those guys you know most of the the factory truck systems aren't very good uh matt i feel like a broken record we, we do a ton of tundras at my shop and yeah tundras are huge out here and they come with really terrible audio and they're really i don't want to say easy to upgrade but we can we can make those things sound like insanely good for a couple grand for like three grand we can make a system in those that sounds it's beyond night and day better than what it was. And because of that, we do a ton of them, but it's right. also because we've invested the time in, you know, making parts that make it easy to reproduce. To kind of speak what you were saying, Mark, I feel like in today's culture, I feel like the only people upgrading their audio is people who have done it in the past, mm -hmm. who understand that better exists, right? Because we're getting closer and closer to the point where the original equipment manufacturer is embracing DSP and they are maximizing how this equipment can sound much like what we're doing. But they still have limiting factors. <laughs> right. They still have limiting factors, but it's sounding leaps and bounds beyond better what they've had in their previous car. Right. Right. So like my wife has a brand new Mazda CX-9 with Bose. It has center point. So, I mean, there's processing and there's pretty much a true center image and it sounds decent if you didn't know what else existed. Right? right. And much like when I posted the Tesla model three in Tesla groups, there's a slew of people saying, well, why in the hell would you change out the best sounding car that you can buy on the market today? Plus you totally ruined the range, man. Right. Can't exactly. Drive as far yeah. now. <laughs> <That's the worst. laughs> Which, by the way, if, if anyone's listening, it, it does not hurt the range. <laughs> With that one comment, I feel like 
people know that that's like the one thing that pisses me off so much every time I post a Tesla thing <laughs> that there's a ton of people that just do it for fun now. Yeah. And I'll comment back with like an educated uh, retort to what they said. And they're like, oh, no, dude, I know. I'm just messing with you. Like I, I knew it until. Yeah. So, yeah. Matt has so. his response like on an email. I do. So I have a copy and paste, paste yeah. it. <laughs> copy, paste, yeah, at copy, this point, paste. copy and paste. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. funny. So, so on that upgrade thing, I don't feel like we have nearly as many people doing big audio systems as you know there were twenty years ago. It's just not that world anymore. It's definitely changed. I feel like the consumers that do want upgrades, um, I I would say that most of my customers that I deal with are in the I would say forty year old and up range is the majority of my customers and they've had systems in the past and they, they know that they're used to more volume. They know they're used to better tonality. Um, and probably 25% of those are like hardcore into audio guys that have, you know, good home audio gear. And 75% are the guys that are just like, what I have isn't good enough. I want better. I want more. I want louder. I want more detail but aren't you know they're not the hey i have a hundred grand into my home system i want to get as close to it as i can type of guys that's that's maybe 20 25 of my customers at least yeah so do you think that do you think that like the i i don't know if i want to call it a problem but do you think that maybe the reason that there is less people upgrading audio nowadays or or, or so it seems is just because the baseline is better or or do you think that it's more, I mean, I mean, I remember growing up and you would watch like a music video and this is when MTV actually had music M- music videos and you would, it would be like a, a show point of the video, a focal point that here's a, this car that has like 18, 18s, right, in, you know, right. and, and uh, like, I feel like it was so much more of culture. Like, <laughs> oh, you got to upgrade time, the audio. Big timers did so much for car audio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas today you don't you don't really see that, so I don't know. Maybe it's a, a combination of both. But what do you guys kind of think there? I for for me, I feel like it's it's definitely not as prevalent as it used to be. And I think what kind of pushed that was uh, a few things. We can always say you know the OEMs have gotten better and better, and they have. There was a period where it was very difficult to upgrade audio in a car when uh, we've gone over this before when i got into car audio uh, half the cars had more than half the cars still had tape decks right cds were not uh, maybe one out of every 10 cars that we would see came with the cd player and so there was an easy way to upgrade those cars you can pull out a tape deck that's got eight watts per channel you can put in a cd player that's got 25 watts per channel you can take out dual cone speakers and you can put in coaxes and for under a thousand dollars, you get this night and day increase. And now, as cars evolved, and you added DSP, and there's um, EQ, and and we're adding component sets from the factory, and and in a lot of cases, external amplification, and they became difficult to integrate with. So it increased the cost so much that it there was no value proposition, right? The when I was at Alpine and we did the imprint processor, right? The the story that used to get told was, you know, you have these cars that some PhD tuned, 
right? Mm-hmm. To like sell this audio system to a car manufacturer that spent six months doing it, right? And now you want the kid at Best Buy to rip that out and put in a new radio and speakers and amplifier that doesn't have any of that tuning that some guy that makes a lot of money every year tuned for all that time. Do you think the kid at Best Buy is going to get it to sound as good? And the answer is, if that's the scenario and you had a car that was really set up good, chances are it's not going to sound better. And, yeah. and why, there were, why are you killing Best Buy? Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't pick on Best Buy. <laughs> that's just a general example. Yeah. Right. Circuit City. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, Circuit City. Roadshop. CC Roadshop. Hey, I found out we have one more to our group, by the way. Who else was in the road shop? Chris Pate. Was no he? Way. Yes. He was a road yes. shop so, employee. So, so I was, Matt was, and Chris nice. Pate was also. I didn't, I, I nice. found that out today. That's classic. Now, I feel like that with doing systems in cars today, there, there's, two, there's two sides of the argument here, where one side is it's getting very, very hard for the average installer to make a car sound better than factory. And by that, I mean with that person understanding how to tune a car, how acoustics work, how phase phasing works, how EQing works, all, all those different points for the average installer, more times than not, you're going to go into a car that they do and there's going to be tons of phase issue, tons of EQ. I mean, it's, it's just really wrong, right? And yeah, you can and tell no- in two seconds... If it's wrong or if it's right, and, and, and no, no installer that that isn't like if you don't put a DSP in a car, you're not going to get better than it was. Right. It, it's that simple. Like if that's right. not part of the system design and part of the the expectation, you in any car that costs more than thirty thousand dollars, you are not making a difference if you right. are not adding your own DSP. To and the, the other side of the coin, in my is, in my eyes at least, but, the other yeah. side of the coin is. If you know what you're doing, know how to actually tune a DSP and understand how acoustics acoustics work in a car, and you can literally eliminate the car's atmosphere out of the equation, and you're using good equipment, right? Not paper and plastic speakers, not amplifiers with a dirty signal with low power, which is what the factory is going to use and all that kind of stuff to conserve weight and you know all the things that the factory does just to be good enough. Mm-hmm. When we can do... The speakers that we do that are made of good materials with good power and all this other stuff, and we can tune it like the factory did, it is a night and day difference. And I have no problem, basically, and and a lot of people ask how I sell, and I always, you know, there's that whole argument of doing under-promising, over-delivering. I always over-promise and over-deliver because when I over-promise, I'm building excitement and expectations for what they should get, right? But I do that knowing that I'm going to execute. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they're going to ex- they're going to experience something unlike what they've experienced in the past. And even if it's a home audiophile, at the end of the day subliminally they're still associating the car with any other car that they've ever heard, right? It's kind of hard to think of a home system at the end of the day you're going to compare it to any car system you've ever had right and when you sit in that car and you're like holy shit this is like a high-end home audio system this is unreal and i've told gary this on previous podcasts there us in a car i feel like there's benefits that work to the car audio installer advantage which is the location of the drivers 
because it goes to the psyche of the person sitting in the seat. Because naturally, if you're staring at speakers in the pillar here, speakers in the pillar here, you know the subs in the back, you know the mid bass is in the lower part of the door. And at the end of the day, when you're listening to everything and you hear this just like, it's it's almost like magic because everything's eliminated. You have one massive sound stage in front of you that's wide and deep and every all of those speakers sound like it's one speaker in the center. It There's magic that happens when you're in a house and you literally sit between speakers. The, you, you can see that you're center, right? So there is no magic happening there. But when you are in a car and you're right next to these speakers and you can stare at them, and you would swear they're not playing, right? I don't know how many people I've demoed the car to and they've seen the pillars and they like put their hand on the speakers to see if they're playing. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So that kind of stuff also works to the magic of the end result of what that user is hearing. So it's very easy to over deliver on high expectations if you give them as long as you can execute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes the car has stuff to do with that. I'm, I'm curious on a couple of things. One, that that listening experience that you're describing is much like listening in a recording studio. You're listening mm-hmm. near field to, you know, higher quality, smaller drivers than you normally would listening in like a house and in, in, in a living room. But how often, Matt, do you deal with a customer that has a vehicle that doesn't have good speaker placement, that the budget doesn't allow you to do uh, you know, pods and, and you have to use OEM locations that you're not happy with. What do you do in that scenario when you know that you're up against a battle that's so here's a, here's a perfect example. Um, obviously whenever I sell anything to any client, there's an education process that happens. There's a phone call. It's generally like when people are serious, it's like a 30, 40 minute conversation, legitimately giving audio 101 of a car so they can understand what we have to do to make them sound good so they can make an educated decision based on how we can sell and design the system. Because if they don't understand that, how do they know to buy a three-way? How do they know to run everything active off class AB amplifiers? You have to put the ground works in place for them to understand that. To kind of answer your question on that, we, we talk, we educate, and to speak to a a terrible car with bad placement that we just recently did would be like your typical Porsche, right? It was a 991 and we did a, he didn't want to add subs. So we just did front mid base in the factory location, eight inch. And then the mid range, which is right over top of that in the door, which when you're sitting there, your leg is blocking. And then obviously the tweeter on the dash firing into the glass. So as long as you can educate and at that point, hamper expectations, say it would be better if it was here because X, Y, and Z, but we can still make it sound good. Obviously, it's still going to sound way better than what is in there currently because it's using those same spots. And if we're using better equipment and better amplifiers, it's going to sound better. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. So like I said, you just got to put those little tidbits in place, but Again, with DSP, there's so much that you can overcome, mm-hmm. right? There's so much you can overcome because that car, and I don't know how many cars that I've truly done active in factory locations, uh, especially with no sub, but that thing sounded incredible and it the, imaged you can incredible. You those things subs. You can call yeah. the, the, yeah. the door woofers yeah, and that right? subs. That's fine. 
Yeah, kind of kind of going back a little bit, but you know, you had mentioned kind of some of the differences with the aftermarket gear versus the OEM gear, and I, I think that's something that a lot of people still don't really follow, especially when they you know they get sold a premium system. Of course, yeah, they have no idea from the dealer. It, the, I think the expectation is kind of like okay, it's a premium system. So it's going to have like the equivalent aftermarket gear, you know, it's going to be well-designed gear. And I mean, I just my manufacturing background, again, you know, being in the engineering field, I spent, um, it was probably like four years working for a tier one supplier that made a, uh, like acoustic insulation for vehicles. So it was like the actual molded carpets in the cars. And then like, it was called like the dash inner, which is that like piece of the blue jean material type stuff with foam on it that you would see up against the firewall behind the dash. And the the other thing that kind of, the reason I mentioned that the other thing that really is a value add for, for aftermarket car audio is, is the sound treatment process. Mm -hmm, Because the other thing here that the the manufacturers, First of all, to to conclude my point on, on the manufacturers as far as gear goes, is they they're definitely looking to even with the premium systems, they got to turn a profit. Yep, they are looking to get that that gear to be as cheap as possible. So that means you know manufacturing cuts whatever they can do. It might still sound passable because we do have the glorious DSP technology that we do have nowadays. But still, when you don't start with like you know actual high quality gear, you can only make it sound so good. And then the second thing is, you know, we're, we're in this race right now of like, who can have the best fuel economy? Well, do you know what the, like the number one thing is that's going to drag down fuel economy? Well, yeah, it's weight. Yeah. And s- to properly sound treat a car, you need to add some weight. So, and, and, just another side note, again, for people listening, because this is something that pops up on the videos. People will be like, oh man, you, you know, you added all that weight. Now your fuel economy is gone. Like, I feel like you can do a a pretty decent, like maybe not a full out sound treatment job to a car, but like a pretty decent job with maybe a hundred pounds of materials. So the way I look at that is like, you don't have a kid riding in or not. Yeah, exactly. Here's what tilts me, Mark, that same, that same argument. When I posted the GT3 that I built mm-hmm. with, oh, with, with that audio system and again, you know, YouTube comments, YouTube comments can be the absolute just cesspool of any opinion, right? The most uneducated stuff rolls in there. And at the end of the day, we obviously performed something that was an ask of the client to make it sound incredible, right? We did it with weight as a motivating factor with how we designed the system, which is why we used some of the materials that we did and we designed it the way that we did. And at the end of the day, you have... Porsche track enthusiast just being like, yeah, that's not a GT3 anymore. Yeah. And my argument is like, okay, so you might be taking a 220 or 230 pound driver and swapping it out with a 170 pound driver. What's the difference? Are you saying that if a guy who weighs 230 pounds drives a Porsche now or a GT3, now it's all of a sudden slow? How, How many horsepower is that car? I don't a lot. I mean, it's not, it's not going <laughs> to flinch at that. No, but, but and again, if it's a track car and you're going for like literally a tenth of a second, and that yeah. matters, okay, you have an argument. But if it's a daily driver, that thing still scoots. <laughs> I don't yeah. care who you are, and so, it sounds like w- when you're driving that with the audio up that fast, it is an experience unlike anything that you would ever get. And you could 
stick the Porsche enthusiast driver in there and he'd be like, fuck, this is amazing. Yeah. So that's the other thing. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, YouTube comments. It's kind of like a a known thing where, you know, sometimes communities can be somewhat toxic. I'd say for the most, for the most part, I would say like 95% of comments are decent, but it's like that 5% that like, you know, it it stinks because you don't want to be negative, but it's sometimes it's easy. Like you get that one silly comment and you just dwell on it and you're like, oh, right. But the, the biggest problem is I feel like people... People will take what like what their preference is, and they expect that that their preference should apply to everyone else. So exactly. Exactly. You, you mentioned the track guys, like you know, of of course, if that guy's goal is to go around a track as fast as possible, of course he's not going to put an audio system in it. But that guy has that car, and he wants a good audio system. He's probably not taking that car to the track anymore. Right. It's that dude's car. It's his money. Just let the guy have the, you know, what right. who are you to complain? It's that guy's car. You can do what he wants with it. You <laughs> right. Know? Right. Much like when I did the Jeep Wrangler, I got so many comments like, oh, man, pretty great car for an audio system. Yeah. And listen, I understand it's a Jeep Wrangler. Mm-hmm. It it sucks. It's for, loud, yeah. an, it, for an acoustic environment. Yep. But at the end of the day, if that client enjoys that car and somehow he's like emotionally connected to wanting to rock out in that car or to have it sound like a perfect reference audio system. That's my job is to do everything in my power to make that happen. It it doesn't matter that, you know, you can go off-roading in it and all this other stuff and it has a soft top. But at the end of the day, I will say when I drove that, because I I do all my own photo shoots, I do my own video. Mm -hmm. And when I drove it to the photo shoot, I was, I was legitimately driving it down the road and I'm like, holy shit, this thing sounds like a, like a quiet SUV. Because yeah. we did, we literally did like four layers of sound shield on the floor, like all like the carpet barely even contoured to the <laughs> floor anymore. It was like four layers on the ground, and wow. uh, it made a massive difference. Obviously, we added a lot of weight, but again, at the end of the day, kind of what I allude to a lot of customers when we talk about sound treatment and how important it is. Most audio systems that are installed today you are hitting the limiting factor of resonance in a car before before you're hitting what those speakers can actually do, right? So we're actually stopping the the headroom or the level yep. of certain drivers, especially with mid-bass, to yep. not hit resonance, right? Because a lot of times those eights in the doors, and me and Gary talked about the, the 991 specifically and how terrible those plastic door panels are and how big of a resonance factory that is you have to spend a lot of time in there and really feel out each part or notch filter a certain frequency out that really resonates the the panels stuff like that but generally the equipment can do way more than where you're setting it at and like a bmw underseat woofer they make the focal woofers and things like that those things are capable of way more mid-bass but you're limited to the seatbelt tensioner rattling and that's uncontrollable, right? So when you get a car, much like we did an Escalade that had as much sound treatment to make it a tank, we understood that that was the goal, but nothing resonated. You could get the full headroom, the full experience out of all the equipment and you never felt that point of resonance, which made it super magical. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent makes a big difference. But yeah, it's it's funny. So like 
for the people listening, when you go into a car and you look at what is there for sound treatment, you might see just the smallest square or the smallest little piece on an open piece of sheet metal, right? It, it definitely helps, but from the point of what we do and what we apply to that piece of metal is substantial, oh, right? Yeah. You know, you you knock on the front fender and it's like ting, 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 and then you knock on the door and it's like thud, thud, thud. You know, it makes a massive difference. And Mark, you said you spent time in that world is working for a tier one supplier? Yep, tier one for automotive acoustic materials. So, I mean, I, I, I can tell you even from like the testing when they're designing the cars, like let's say you open a door panel and there's like two squares in there. The reason they didn't put one square is because like they just barely needed to have two squares to make it not sound horrible going down the highway at, at highway speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, but if we go 85, then it, it does start to get noisy. Well, people aren't allowed to go 85, so we're not going to apply any more <laughs> sound treatment there. <laughs> yeah. And again, it is diminishing returns. It's amazing how much a small amount of sound dampening material will do on a big flat panel Mm -hmm. but when you start putting high power speakers and and really start to apply more force to those things um that's that's the reason we end up going nuts with that what was the point in which you realized that your youtube channel was more than just a random video here and there like when did you start branding and trying to you know make it a legitimate youtube channel yeah so i i I don't know why but for some reason i have like this vivid memory in my mind of of this one time just waking up in the middle of the night and um it you know it was still i think i had probably like four or five videos at this point and and i woke up in the middle of the night and i just couldn't sleep so i checked my email and i had like 10 new subscribers which like today like i wouldn't even you know it's just progression over time but for for that time in that point in time i was like oh man 10 people like in like since i went to bed that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. and uh so i just i'm like man maybe this is like actually a thing so um that first video it did it did pretty good i mean it wasn't viral by any means i think it got like uh i want to say like at this point in time it had maybe 150,000 views but that was pretty cool i didn't even know that many people like cared about bending a piece of wood you know so Mm -hmm. I started going from there and and kind of just researching online like the best best tips for like building a community and um like how to improve my video editing through youtube like just mm-hmm. researching on youtube how how to how to edit and um just kind of learning from there and you know looking into br- branding like you mentioned and um how to kind of define like a, a target audience which you know, it's kind of interesting. We were talking about that a little bit before we actually started recording here. Like, who who do we think is going to be interested in listening to this? And I mean, it is important to consider those kind of things because you you want to like know the person that you're making the content mm-hmm. for. So, and and I think with my videos, um, one of the things I I like, and I think this is important for anyone that's trying to create content, is like you have to you almost have to be like your own target audience. Like I feel like I need to be the definition of my target audience. That way, as I continue to make more videos, like I'm interested in what I'm actually talking about. Otherwise, I feel like- Oh yeah, I mean, you have, yeah, you have to be, you got to show passion in what you're talking about or else nobody, it doesn't even matter if people are interested, they're just not going to watch it. 
Yeah. And that's what I like about what you guys are doing with this podcast, actually, because you sent me that first one of just, you know, you two talking and I just sat there and listened to the whole thing. Like, I I didn't feel bored at all. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, it's just good to have that target audience defined and like just to be passionate about it, which I mean, clearly you guys are. And um, I hope I hope people out there think I hope my passion for this shows through because I mean, I, I love doing this stuff. It started off for fun and it translated into something that I do full time now. So how many years has the channel been going? Uh, so 2011. So uh, nine, 10, 10 yeah. ish. Yeah. And how much do you feel you've grown? Like oh, your, your skill set through the years? Yeah. Like how how much and where where have you drawn from and? <laughs> Give us all that. Like what's, what's your education been to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I still have tons to learn. I'll tell you, I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you, like I, I listen to Schaefer talk about st- stuff sometimes. I'm like, man, this dude is, is well, you too, Gary. I mean, I've seen some of your fiberglass technique. I'm like, dude, these guys are super advanced. I, I mean, you can only, you can only hope to keep learning more and more, but um, yeah, if you can, <laughs> I think it speaks for itself. If you go back and look at some of my older videos, uh, you know, back then versus now, I mean, in some of the older videos, I, I was using a router down on the floor. I was using fender washers as radius templates. I was using bulls. At, hey, as, I mean, that, that's guides. evolution, man. That's, I, I mean, you got that's it. evolution. Yeah, you know, you I got, feel like, I feel ahead. like every, every year you have to look back at what you did the year prior and try and look at it and say, you know, I could have done that better. Yeah. I could have applied this technique. I could have done it like this. That's that's normal. That is totally okay. It's totally okay to think of what you did four years ago as like, man, I can't believe I did that. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's natural. It's a natural part of life. And I feel like everyone uh, or a lot of people in the world today, they're, they're trying to be perfection. They're trying to display this sense that they they understand everything. And at the end of the day, the most humbling thing that you can do as a fabricator in our industry is you go to Disney, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're just, you look around and you see all the stuff that is physically one-off fabricated and it puts you in perspective of where, what your capabilities are. Yeah. Yeah, there's some guys that um, I can't remember what training uh, it was one that Yato was at and, you know, just some of the like prop makers that he's turned us on to on Instagram and stuff. Some of the the fab that they do. Oh, my gosh. It's it's right. I mean, it's it's, it's really cool to see everyone's especially with with social media nowadays to see everyone's content, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's creative content, whether it's TikTok, whether it's YouTube no matter what it is, just to see like people's minds working to make stuff is so awesome. And I think that even if it's not your style, like you have to just embrace it and be open-minded to understand like that's people's brains working. Like where, where does that thought even come from? You know, like when I build a trunk, where does that, where does that thought even come from when I, because most things that I build, like I, I see a vision fairly quickly and I just run with it. Like, where does that thought even come from? Yeah, I, I think the other thing that's, you know, critical for people to understand, too, especially if they're just getting started is like, I, I say this all the time, but everyone starts somewhere like it's really easy to look at, you know, a Matt Schaefer build and, and be like, holy crap, you know, I, I want to do that. But I mean, you really have to understand that you have literally, what, 20 years of 
experience. It's like, it's a lot of years of failing. Yeah. And that goes to my quote, like the masters failed at everything. The beginners never tried. Yep. And to execute. And again, where I'm at now, I hope to be two years from now looking at the stuff I'm building now and being like, ugh, or yeah. not, <laughs> uh, but like I could have done that better. Right. Cause that's natural. That's natural progression. Yeah. And you have to, you have to be open to understanding that you're constantly learning, but you have to be open to criticism. Right. Yep. So every time that I do a car, and I think I told Gary this on the last podcast, I put, I put people in my shop in the car. And obviously when we listen to the car, I ask them, you know, what did you love the most? And did anything irritate you? Right. Cause I want to know, I want to know from a majority of people if something bugged them or if they like something, what did they like about it? What, what did they perceive as special on this particular build? Or if I play 10 demo songs for each, each person in my shop, which one was your favorite? Because that gives me a lot of like feedback to kind of understand the general consensus, right? It's me building data on the job so I can kind of use that data for the next job or use that data in the demo for the client, right? To pay, to play all the, all the songs that got the best feedback from random people listening to it. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, the progression, I mean, you have to understand the progression takes time. I, I think that's maybe one of the things that people kind of like about, um, you know, the videos is you, you can really see that like over time there, cause people will message me and they'll be like, Oh man, I watched some of your old videos and like your light years ahead of like what you were now. And I, I think that helps people kind of see how, you know, it's, it's more mm-hmm. obtained. Yeah, every, everyone can learn even, you know, even the person that people are watching, right? They're watching yeah. you and learning from you and they can see that you're getting better while right? I'm learning. It's like so, learning exactly. exception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's cool too, because obviously I do a lot of YouTube stuff, not on the scale that you do, because obviously you do it super regularly and you, you literally appeal for education for people. So you have this massive following. But when I get feedback from clients that call, you know, because most of the people that call are really from YouTube. It's not some is from Instagram, but mainly it's it's all YouTube people. So all the jobs that I'm doing have been people who have watched YouTube videos over time that finally pull the trigger on their car. And a lot of times they mention your channel. You know, they say, "Oh, I watch your channel all the time. I watch uh, Mark from Car Audio Fab." Nice. You know, so I mean, it, it, these people, the demographic that we're speaking to, they seek out this as a hobby, and much like. Gary and I have talked about in the past, a lot of those people, they had a stereo system in their 20s, you know, in high school, whatever it was that they loved. It felt like a ingrained piece of history in their, you know, in their mind, which they want to recreate mm-hmm. in the car that they can purchase now that they don't trust just a random person working on. Right. You know what I mean? That's kind of the key demographic of at least what I see in my shop. Mark, do you get, I don't know how much feedback you get from your audience, but do you have any sort of idea how many of the people that are watching your videos are watching because they just want a general education and how many are actually watching the videos and then going out and doing like 
that they found that because they they needed to build this part and now yeah. they're going to watch your video and go do it or people are just generally getting ideas about car audio or yeah so i i actually did a, a survey about that before and I, I can't remember exactly how i defined it but I, I it was something along the lines of like are you are you a diyer or are you do you work in this industry and you know you're you're looking for you know more skills to add to your skill set and um it, it was kind of like a, a 50 50 split of the two but i i, I I set up the the survey so that if people answered DIY had like a separate set of questions and it was like after the watching watching the videos like you know what what did you learn and kind of a common thread is a lot of people would say you know I again like like Matt mentioned a lot of people say okay you know I did car audio like I installed my own system 20 years ago and I'm getting back into it wanted to either put a system in and you know started to educate myself and but a lot of people find that they see that it's a little bit more complex nowadays and um they, they see like how much work is really involved with the more advanced high-end fabrication and especially like a lot of the tools that are needed and that kind of thing there there really is kind of a uh a, i don't know if i want to call it a barrier to entry but it's it's a little bit more steep nowadays to kind of yeah to be a DIYer nowadays with YouTube is awesome. I mean, just today, I, I I purchased a bunch of wallpaper, like a whole sheet of wallpaper that I'm going to do my girl's bathroom in. And it's like the old school kind, so it's not the peel and stick. Yeah. And you got to like apply paste to it. So I've watched like, I don't know, 15 different videos just to see 15 different opinions on how to do it. So I get an education on how to do it. But like if we're making the association with car audio in today's world... I feel like if you are a DIYer and you don't have the equipment, right? You don't have an RTA, the things that you, and the knowledge. I mean, that's the most important part is the knowledge because we we're dealing with acoustics in a car and trying to overcome the terrible environment that is the automobile. And if you can't understand that the money that you're spending on your gear is almost you're, you're throwing it out the window. You're, you're getting 20% of what that stuff can do if it's tuned in correctly. The two categories in my mind would be like fabrication versus installation. And I, I think fabric, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the DIYers. That's like part of the reason I create all of this course, content yeah. is I want to, I want to share the, you know, the, the information with people so they, they can DIY. But I, and you know, I feel like more of my videos are focused on the fabrication side. Cause in my mind, like you, that's more you obtainable. Can, yeah, it's yeah. very, and it's like you mentioned with the wallpaper. You know, it's not like wallpaper is an advanced computer. <laughs> right, right. It's it's just a thing that you have to do. You might have to get a couple of specialized tools, but it can be done. And and you know, I mentioned earlier, like using fender washers as radius templates, and like using a jigsaw and then sanding like crazy to get an arc smooth. I mean, there are ways that you can do fabrication mm -hmm, DIY still get a pretty high end result. I mean, you could do inserts with foam tape and body filler as opposed to, you know, do having 10 different router bits so that you can like oversize a panel as an example. But when you get into the installation side of things, it is more difficult nowadays to, to mm -hmm. DIY. Cause like you said, you, I, and I've most shops, you, you need most shops in our industry can't do it correctly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's the bread and butter I, behind the whole <laughs> Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. You, you, but I mean, you have to have an RTA. You have to, and not not only an RTA that measures acoustic response, you need to be able to look at the electric res, electrical response on, on the signal. And, you know, there, then you have, you have all these different things 
potentially built into the stock system with, uh, you know, there might be a uh, time delay built into the stock system. How, how do you correct that? There, there might be an all pass filter, you know, like how are you going to yeah, and integrate that? comes down that? to the education of the person is doing it on a daily basis in order to yeah. understand that and get the maximum value out of your equipment. And I always talk to each client about return on your investment. So generally we educate, then we come up with a target budget and we give the best return on the investment for that budget. Right. I mean, that's that's what we do. Yep. Matt Matt made a really good point in one of our past podcasts about talking about the the value add of doing better gear while you're already spending the money on the labor. So if he's in a car and he's putting speakers in the door, it doesn't matter whether it's a $100 speaker or a $500 speaker, the installation is the same right? To a point where you might do a little stronger baffle if you're putting, you know, 500 watts on a mid-base driver in a door than if you're putting 50 right. watts on a six. Right. Um, but f- for that, there is a lot of value in getting the better gear while you're having somebody do the install. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I said, if, if you're spending, let's just say 3,500 bucks, four grand on a, a basic system that includes everything, you know, your front speakers, a DSP amplifiers, a subwoofer, obviously with installation. If you add 1500 bucks to that, right? And you just upgrade the equipment with that 1500 bucks and say the install is the same because again, to install a set of $300 components versus a set of $900 components, you're you're spending all your money on performance at that point, right? Yep. So the return on the investment is going to be far superseded than that basic system. So that's kind of how I always break it down to each client is you're you're actually getting the worst return on your investment with the basic system because you're you're spending the amount of money to install the gear. And if you can just muster up or find an extra 1500 bucks, 3 grand, you get a dramatically different product in do, the end. Do you do you have um a similar uh, like explanation for sound treatment. Like, you know, I'm going to be, let's say, okay, I'm taking a door panel off because we're going to upgrade the speakers. I mean, I'm going to be in there. That's the labor, obviously. Yeah, dependent on the tier type of system that we do, you know, sometimes we'll do black hole tile with the sound treatment and things of that nature, but that's really based on a tiered type of system where you're getting, you're doing a system in which you would notice advantages of what you're doing. Because obviously if you're doing black hole tile and all this other stuff and you're doing freaking, uh, you know, GL audio C ones or Alpine type S in the front. I mean, it's, it's really relevant at that point of what benefit you're getting from the labor and the product that you're putting in. But sound treatment for me really comes down to a tiered type of system and then it's always and an, a non-negotiable based on addressing the car as need be, right? Mm-hmm. So the one thing, and this is a beautiful thing about when I demo the car with different people in my shop as I'm doing the build, just to kind of like backtrack, I generally do the audio equipment first, the full build, and then I do the fabrication. And the reason I do that is because I can demo it with people coming into the shop as the build is happening and I can constantly get time and listen from the passenger seat. And when I'm really listening from the passenger seat, it's more or less to like gear in on resonance in the car. Do I hear anything on all these songs? Where do I hear it? 
And then when the client gets out or when the person in the shop gets out, then I'll play the same song and then I'll start rooting down where the resonance is happening from. And then we'll address it as need be. So if we have to sell them, you know, an extra door kit of hush mat or an extra roll of uh, sound shield, we'll do that. And any client that's doing that type of system, you know, that's really just kind of a drop in the bucket. So I mean, so are you demoing with the the door panels off then, or you're just, you take the no? So generally, the whole the whole acoustic side of it, the whole system is in. All I have left is really trim work. So like the amp rack the the fascia to the sub box because a lot of times I'll build things in ways where like the sub box is pretty much a traditional sub box it just has a, a beauty panel with it yeah so the the full soundscape of the car the whole all the gears in and it's ready to go and that's your end result of the gear the only thing that I have to do in the next week in most cars is the the appearance of everything. Okay, so you do. So at that point, you do have all the the interior. Yeah, everything is OEM installed, panels. ready to go. It's all tuned. Gotcha. You know, all the basic stuff is done, but I can listen to the car and critique it from the passenger seat as I'm demoing the car. So the person in the driver's seat is listening to the system and you know critiquing it. You know, is it center? How's the sound stage? How wide is it? Does everything sound correct? Do you hear any resonance? But me, I'm just over in the passenger seat while everything's playing. And I'm just really trying to like gear in. Do I hear anything in the car rattling? Yeah. Because that's really time for me to hear all that stuff. Um, and then I can address it after the fact. So I think at the point when the client gets the car, there's literally a lot of time in listening for resonance, listening for different things and getting a ton of opinion on how does the car stage? How does the car sound? Have you heard better? Um, and the great thing is when you get, when you have a lot of people in the shop continuing to hear cars, they know the equipment that's in there. So now they start getting a reference point for the equipment that's installed. So they, like myself, pretty much know the limits of this gear. You know, sometimes they'll say, damn, that's the best I've ever heard that group of gear sound. So that is important feedback for me to understand as the person building the car. When it comes to the sound treatment too, the, the huge thing is usually what the output of the system is. And, you know, the higher the power, the bigger the speakers, the more things are going to start resonating. And that usually is kind of the determining factor. And there's some systems and some customers that, that are really annoyed by any resonance. And, you know, Matt and I, we, we kind of go back and forth on this because I have a lot of customers that really like to bend the volume knob and really like some systems that crank and on the, you know, as long as there's no resonance to 75% of the volume, that's fine for critical yeah. listening. And then mm -hmm. that last 25%, they're okay with, you know, the rear seat going crazy or the dome light rattling or whatever it is, you know, and it's, you know, that's 20%, maybe 10% of the listening time. They just want that there for when they, you know, windows down 70 down the freeway and they're rocking out. Here's the other funny part about that whole thing is subliminally, there's a, I'd say a small percentage of clients that don't feel, don't feel like their system's performing to the highest level until they hit resonance or until they hear distortion, because yeah. that's always that's always in the past where this particular demographic has has understood the full potential of the system. 
right? I turn well, it to the point where I hear rattling or I turn it to the point where I hear distortion and a click below that is where I know the the best part of that system is that's, or the potential that's one of that of your system. Huge cues of loudness is distortion, right? Like right. that's that's right. what your brain is picking up on that something's loud. You, your brain is self-attenuating as you crank volume. When you sit in mm-hmm. a car and you, you listen to it loud for, you know, or you're standing at a concert for a long period of time, your your brain is turning down your sensitivity to your ears. And mm-hmm. that's why something won't sound as loud as it did. And then you go take a break and you come back and you're like, oh no, it does have a lot of volume. Yeah. And so yeah. the distortion cue is, is huge for some people too. Yeah, but I've, but I would say on like maybe two occasions out of all the cars that I've done, I've had that client that wants to hear the sub in the back, so it so that person knows what that sub is putting out. Because mm-hmm. in, in a perfect world, uh, how we do a car, when you hear the sub, it sounds like there's a shit ton of mid bass in the front of the car, right? Or mid bass and sub bass in the front of the car. And you're just like, okay, how much of that is the mid bass? How much of that is the sub bass? And until Mm -hmm. you actually attenuate the sub, you're like, you know, damn, the mids are actually (laughs) pretty, pretty aggressive here in the front. And again, kind of like going back to the Escalade, we did a double eight inch Utopia mid bass in the front. And of course we sound treated the door to be like a tank, but I don't think it was until I was playing a certain song that was more of like an EDM track and it was full bore. And then I got out of the car and then I could isolate the door of what it was doing. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, there is a lot coming out of that door. But when it's closed, you had no idea that obviously the doors are even playing or how much of it was sub, how much of it was mid bass and, you know, where that particular sound was coming from. And yeah, once, there once are a few clients there. that want to hear, you know, that that point of distortion or that point of resonance to, for them to understand, okay, it's loud now. Yeah. Because it is weird. When you don't have distortion, you're sitting there. It's it's playing loud as hell, but your ears aren't fatigued. You know, you can almost still have a conversation in the car loudly but your ears aren't fatigued, right? So it's like, is it loud? Is it not loud? Can it be louder? Because typically I associate loudness with distortion and we're not mm-hmm. there yet. So can it get louder? I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, but you know, it's funny because if you do it well, it almost seems like you get to the point where you would expect like stuff to start catching on fire or <laughs> like the dash to start ripping in half based on how much aggressive you know, sound is coming from these areas. It's yeah. it's crazy, really. It's funny you mentioned it, it's not loud if it doesn't sound distorted. Because on YouTube, if you uh, if you record a, a system, which let's all not lie, it's impossible to to recreate the experience right. that you're hearing in yeah, person. Yeah, let's, let's nip that in the bud right now. <laughs> yeah, it, but here's the thing, right? So if your mic isn't clipping like crazy when you're recording a system, right. it must not be loud. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I've, ma- I've made that mistake better before. People are like, well, that that didn't sound very impressive. It's like, it's because I like attenuated my mic like 40 dB. <laughs> like that's why yeah. it doesn't sound loud. Every other video on YouTube is like, <laughs> yeah. here's when you can do a sound, a sound video is in SPL. When you literally see people's hair f- flying or you see the yeah. windshield doing like a tidal wave dance, right? Then you're like, yeah, damn. I mean, there's a lot of pressure in there. But like when it comes to yeah. sound quality, 
So, and again, it's the one of the comments that pisses me off the most on YouTube is like, <laughs> "Doesn't sound that good." Uh, that was clickbait because you yeah. didn't even play the system. How do I know how it sounds? <laughs> and it's yeah, like, dude, the- you're listening through your phone speaker on a recorded <laughs> road mic. I mean, yeah. it, I, that, I just can't even comprehend that type yeah. of comment. In my in my opinion, that that's the kind of the biggest downside I feel like for my channel is like for those that might be listening that aren't familiar with the channel, you know, I'll go through and I'll like, I have to show the whole process. So if I'm doing a build, it might be 10 videos. One would be sound, uh, sound treatment. One might be like making the speaker adapters, uh, that kind of thing. And I, I, the biggest downfall and hardest thing for me is I get to the end of the project and it's like, I feel like with a big SPL system, you could be like, okay, we're going to unveil this. Look, everything goes crazy. You know, like the roof is flexing right, right, and the, right. we just broke, we literally broke the the windshield. But whereas for a sound quality car, it's like, I can't really show you guys how awesome it sounds. Right. I, I can't visually show you. I mean, I could show an RTA curve and be like, oh, look, it sounds great because it's, <laughs> everything is there, right, right, you right. know? And, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the hardest thing because it, it I feel like that's hard additionally because somebody might watch that whole build, right? And let's say it's somebody that's, you know, looking at getting a system installed in their car and and then so they see how much work is involved and how much expense and then it's like, "Oh man, like that doesn't I I'm listening to it on my little headphones that came with my phone. It doesn't sound that impressive, but people uh, you have to like really that's why I wish that the you know the car shows would be more more popular and and people could get more of that in person experience to really you know really mm-hmm. get that impression. I, do you guys both have um, do you have demo cars that like if a client comes along they can like do you have a car like always ready to go if somebody walks in so they can he- listen or how do how do you demo stuff? So I just bought a, a Tundra to do one of the systems exactly that we that. do yeah and then i have um some friends a couple doors down from the shop that has a tundra that has a system in it and we use that to demo that that system and then we've always got something in the shop you, you know hopefully you know we we always have something that's making music to to hear yeah kind of like i alluded to i always make sure that my car is the audio side of it's done as quick as possible so there might be a lot of potential clients that i'm speaking to through email and if they're local enough, a lot of them will actually make the trip and come hear it in person, which is always great because it gives them the ability to have have relief. Hear their own car or hear like a, a another like a like a car that I'm working on, right? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So whether you know, I don't know how many times I, for instance, the the Porsche GT3 client that I did, he heard the demo of the Escalade, right, and that's what sold him the. Uh, Tesla Model 3 that I just did heard the uh, Mercedes G-Wagon build that I did. So a lot of the people, if they are kind of local enough, they'll make the trip and they'll hear everything to have kind of the proof of concept. And a lot of those clients, after they hear something like that, they'll extend the budget quite a bit based on wherever the system is that we were doing because kind of like the model home approach, once you kind of see everything in the model home... once you understand that you don't have a morning room and now like your downstairs looks way smaller or, you know, just all those little details, you're just like, Hmm, we got to figure out how to make this work. Yeah. So we, we did purchase a Tesla model three right before COVID hit. 
but we decided to like back out at the last second because it was literally the we were going to pick it up the week COVID hit and it was going to be like a white model three like the exact one I just built. And that was going to be the shop car. And we we're going to build a big demo room that was really almost built like a museum. So it wasn't going to have product or a board of speakers. Because again, if if we talk about demos in store, the whole idea of a soundboard with speakers is so stupid, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because it just has no relevancy to how it sounds in a car, right? Yeah, um, I think we should maybe take a second to when I say a second, a few minutes to kind of yeah. talk piggyback on that. Yeah. It, and, yeah. and you can complete what you're going to say right here, but, but pay attention to those people listening that are trying to spec their own system and pay attention to, to what's important and what's not when putting a system together. This is, this is huge. What Matt's saying right here. And yeah. that's, yeah. When you're listening to stuff in a board, there's a few things here. And when you go into shops, there might be a speaker like uh, like a Utopia M, right? You might see it on the board. And based on how the power is performing from the board, you have to understand that the cheapest speakers on the board are meant to work with low power, right? So maybe those sound better based on how they're situated in the board or the power that they're getting. And again, just the the field of the room is completely irrelevant to how these speakers are developed, right? A Utopia M eight inch driver is meant to be in a cubic foot enclosure, which is hello, Mm -hmm. your door panel. A lot of the speakers nowadays are built to have a off axis response because that's how they're installed in cars, right? So when you're installing them as a tower set of speakers, it's not the same way that you're going to ever hear it in the car. So there's so many just different variables of trying to make them home audio speakers. Yeah. A a few more things. So you, are never going to not, I don't want to say never, but the majority of the times when you're listening to a speaker on a soundboard in a car audio shop, in a pep boys, I don't care where you are, right? It's pointed at you and it's almost at eye level. There are very few applications where you have the direct response without the added reflections of a car interior, the the glass, um, the pillars, the door panels, the floor, all of these things are changing how the speaker sounds. So if you walk into any stereo shop and you listen to a set of speakers on the board, how they sound in the board is not how they're going to sound in your car 90, 95% of the time. And so and this is why DSP is so critical right. too, yeah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the other yeah. part of that, just to piggyback on what Gary's saying. The other reason why you have to hear the audio in a car is so you can understand that this shop can basically eliminate the atmosphere of a car. Because Mm -hmm. if you sit in a car and you're, if you hear exactly where all the speakers are localized, then you're like, they didn't do a good job. And again, a lot of the people going into these shops don't even understand that, you know, as long as it's more loud and more clear, Hey, it sounds better, but there's so much more beyond that. And I think that's the picture that we're trying to paint in this podcast, the picture yeah. that I'm trying to create in the sales process when I talk to clients, you got there is an expectation for what you need to experience in a car, right? If you're listening to Michael Jackson Thriller, he's going to walk from right to left and his seven step is going to be dead center of the dashboard. Okay, I'm going to play that track right now. You're going to watch it 
from right to left. And that seven step is going to be in the da- in the center of the dashboard. You play it. It's proof of concept. They can see it. And they're just like, holy shit. I, for one, I didn't even know it was even like that, that because I just always heard the steps thing, yeah. right here, you know, like, yeah, there's so many different songs that you can understand. And that's the other part about our industry is most installers they don't have a true reference of the music that they're demoing, right? They don't know where things are located. They don't even, they're just playing it referenced off their old system or they'll demo the car and just be like, so how does that sound? Giving it up to the client to make the critique rather than educating the client what they're hearing, why it's better and giving giving the proof of concept of an actual stage within their car. If, if you're listening to a song for the first time that's recorded uh, well, and there's a couple members of the band, you should easily be able to identify where the guitarists are, how many there are, where the singer is, where the drummer is, how many people are actually playing in the band, right? Much like if you mm-hmm. go to a concert, you can probably, and when I say concert, I talk about more of like a an actual live venue where there's not a ton of reflections or distortions because if if you go to like you know a football stadium or some shit like that (laughs) uh, oftentimes it's very hard to hear lyrics and what is actually happening but if you're hearing something live in front of you yeah yeah you're listening to an amplified system as opposed to if you're hearing stuff naturally live in front of you and you close your eyes in two seconds you're going to localize everything and another great statement you can say to the client in that phone conversation is like, listen, if you and I right now were talking in person, one, you would know that we're in person, that I'm not talking to you through the phone. Right now, through the phone, there's so much compression taking place. You understand I'm through the phone right now. Number two, if you were to close your eyes and I was there in person and I was still speaking like I am right now, walking around you, in two seconds, you can identify my location. That's that's natural hearing. And that's what we're trying to reproduce in a car. Yeah, I think I think that'd make a good topic for a video. Actually, it's something I've kind of wanted to talk about before is like how to critically listen, because like you said, I I think a lot of people don't really fully grasp when does it actually sound good? Like, what is the definition of sounding good? And I I think it's valuable that, you know, you guys mentioned a a couple like key categories. One is imaging. You should be able to hear each Mm -hmm. different instrument. Another word, uh, another is, uh, you know, the localiz- localization. I'm just kind of recapping what you said, because mm-hmm. I, I think it's important. But yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to hear like, that's where that speaker is, it should all blend well, you know, everything combines, it should all be part of the stereo experience. Is there any other like, you know, so, I, I mean, we could talk about this. Yeah, I mean, you should hours, be able to understand another, the like, size of the venue that they recorded it in, whether it's like a private mm-hmm recording studio or if you're listening to queen at live aid when you listen to that back you're just like when you're hearing the audience respond it feels like you're in the audience versus Mm -hmm. in a like obviously you're sitting in a car but when you're hearing that recreated back you're hearing the additional space the ambiance of the space yeah yeah Yeah, so Mark, what I would suggest, if you've never been to one, you should go to like an IASCA event or a Mecca event and talk to the judges. Maybe even if I think one of the fun things for you and and a great video for you to do would maybe be to sit through judges training would be a really good experience that you could kind of pass on. 
And, yeah. um, you know, th- that's the other side of this is that there's a whole nother genre of guys, although it's a smaller group of guys that, that end up taking this passion for audio and taking passion for car audio and then go out and go into that competition scene with it. And there's, um, there's a lot of guys that, that end up doing that and have a lot of fun with that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of levels to being, you know, a quote unquote audiophile. And I think the biggest concern that Matt and I have is that there's a lot of guys that are selling. Everybody basically sells off of quote unquote sound quality. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I do sounds great. Right. And once you get there's, there is wrong, 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 wrong. And at a point, there's a line you cross where it goes from sounding wrong to sounding correct. And then it's how much detail and how correct from there. But 90% of what we see come in for customers that are not happy with previous is way wrong. It's, it's just wrong. Like there are things that are wrong. Delays are wrong. Speakers are out of phase. There's, you know, there's clipping going on when there shouldn't be. There's, there's all sorts of things that add up to just wrong and yeah, poor decisions. Yeah, yeah Gary and I always design. say like when we listen to a, a car, like if you're listening to somebody else's car, generally in about five seconds, you can understand if it's correct or not, right? Like if things yeah. are where they're supposed if to be. it's in the ballpark. Yeah, there's always a point of diminishing returns or can it? Can you get more out of it? Can you not get more out of it? I think that's what I always kind of like to preach to my clientele is with the equipment that we design for the car, we can pretty much be certain that we're getting the the full most out of the entire system. We're pretty confident mm-hmm. that nobody else can make it sound better with exactly what you have currently. But that's the thing is like in two <laughs> seconds, you can really understand if it's correct or not. And when <laughs> Gary and I were talking about this whole subject, I was saying that I try not to listen to a lot of cars at events like a knowledge fest or CES or SEMA because I don't have like a bullshit face. And I think yeah, this was in your first yeah. podcast. I remember. Yeah, this. And I think <laughs> now that like I'm saying this again, I feel like I can never sit in a car again because like people yeah. are just going to stare <laughs> at my face, about, but they're mad judging. Yeah. Me. <laughs> but like, you know, I think, you know, if it's right, you know, if it's wrong and there's been plenty of cars at these events where, you're just like, man, how does this vendor have this car in this booth? And I feel like it's it's a, it's kind of a tough position for the vendors because a lot of these vendors are reaching out to people local to the area of the event to have a car there to show. So yeah. they still have to like show respect to that person. But at the same time, is it really representing their product to people who are educated? Right. So it's tough. The, the law of diminishing returns really is... Like, I feel like very key to focus on though, because I mean, you, in my opinion, I think you could always make a system sound better. Like you could always do like just that little bit more, but it's, it's the going from like the, this doesn't sound right at all to like, okay, this sounds like pretty darn good. I feel like that gets you to like 90%. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's like, okay, are we going to compete with this car? Because then maybe, you know, it's worth that additional expense of, you know, doing like God level sound treatment where literally everything in the car has been taken out and treated. Like, or Like Nick uh, was telling us how many hundreds of pounds of modeling clay stuffed in his dashboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, that that is a, a huge expense. But at the end of the day, is it going to sound better? Yeah. But does it sound... Mar- 
like let's say the 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 system total price was like 50 grand outrageous number okay well maybe not outrageous but a pretty good budget right mm -hmm. and to go from like 50 grand to to let's say 75 grand that adds on an additional 50% of the budget but 50 grand is probably still going to sound pretty darn well, good well and in in a couple of things too we've had this talk before here that when Matt and I do a system, there is kind of an audio budget and there's a fabrication budget. Exactly. So a right. lot of yeah, times when those when those budgets get to that 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 dollar mark, they're 25 percent audio and 75 percent fabrication or installation yeah. if that's insane amounts of sound treatment and that sort of and, thing. And when and when you say fabrication, that's obviously more like a labor value. Because I mean, let's be honest, like wood, that's cheap. That's yeah. literally like nothing. It, it's it's all the labor. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, when you're taking lots, like lots the Porsche GT3, where we did a carbon fiber subwoofer enclosure that's yeah. vacuum bagged and molded. Yeah. Those materials are, are you know what I mean? Like just the yeah. amount of time that is that it takes to execute like that. I mean, it's it's tough because that same you know, not to give out numbers, but obviously the same, the fabrication budget in something like that was more than double, or I would say maybe double the equipment cost. Yeah. You know, of what I mean, the typical make... equipment installed would be. And yeah. and to put that in perspective for, for X amount dollars less, you could have gotten the same sound out of the car and gotten all the gear installed without right. the flash and without the front. Right. Right. And that's a big thing that we determine with each client, right? We, we try and understand their style uh, a lot of times, and it's good to have the catalog of pictures and installs because they might show you something that's like truly out there with a lot of lights and something like that versus, Volcanoes. yeah, or, some, <laughs> or something that's very stealth and simple and people will Kind of like that yeah. Porsche GT3, or I'm sorry, the Porsche 991 that I just talked about, where the guy wanted to do fact, you know, factory locations. He didn't want subs because he wanted everything to 100% pure factory without even adding anything, even though we could have added subs in the back and made it look factory and things like that. But his, his vision was to have factory locations, have it be completely factory, kind of do the job like that. So that's, that's how we attack that car and that's how we design that car. So I have a question for you guys. What you got? So, and and again, this is this is something I've been thinking about making a, vi a video because I feel like it would it would help kind of bridge the gap between you know professionals and like people that are are going to potentially be a client and and want to have a car built. And I'll give my answer first because it's the only good answer I can think. Well, it's the only one I can think of off the bat, and I don't want you guys to steal it. But the question is going to be, <laughs> um, what is something that people say, I guess, like all the time when, when you're in the initial like quote process that it, it's kind of, what's like a question they have or something they say that you feel is kind of silly. I don't want to hear my and, car rattling down the street. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. I, I don't want to be heard in the neighborhood. I don't want my car to rattle down the street. You know, that's the most worn out cliche in car audio yeah. sales ever. The, and the, so the one I was going to say is I don't want a competition system. Like, right. Uh, we, like, yeah, I, I, I get I that a lot too. What about you, Gary? I'm, try, I'm trying to think through. I, I feel that like I, I'll demo systems to customers and I'll explain what we've done. And they're so, 
they're impressed with the sound they're impressed with the output but when i tell them that there's like oh and this car has one eight inch woofer in it and they're like well i need more and it's like well wait a second you just you just got out of a car you said you were you were like more than happy with everything that it did but for yeah. for no good reason they've been trained that they need more or bigger woofers or yeah, more small. speakers or yeah. yeah that that is a video that i've made before because <laughs> i i've tried to stress that like so many people you know they'll message me especially for like the enclosure designs and stuff and they want to they want to do like 215s ported in the the trunk of a civic and i mean like I, it can be done oh and they'll be like oh i still want you know storage room right. and by the way i looked i looked up the specs and you know cars.com says that uh it has like 48 cubic feet right. and i'm like that's like that's if they fill the trunk with water. That's not for an enclosure that you can take in and out of the car. But I mean, the point is like you can if you know what you're doing and you, you have some good power with smaller subwoofers, you can create quite a bit of output and speakers, too. If they can handle the, the power and, you know, like like Matt was mentioning on this recent build with the, the mid base, the eight inch uh, drivers up in the doors like, man, I mean, if it's done right. Yeah, and the first yeah the first the first comment that guy actually made in his car was it sounds like there's three and obviously a mid bass woofer is different than a sub bass woofer right so a mid bass yeah. eight for the people that are listening is very different than an eight inch subwoofer uh, mm -hmm. but the comment that he made was like Jesus it sounds like there's three eights in the back that yeah. I, that I, three eight inch subwoofers and again once it's done right it has that freaking impact up front. But in today's car audio, kind of the style that I go with is always functionality and serviceability, right? So when we design a system, we don't want to in, infringe on any space that the client has that's usable. Mm -hmm. So if, if he, obviously there's always a point of if somebody wants something substantial, okay, at some point you have to, you got to give up some space, right? You got to figure out what you what you're going to use the space for but we always try and make the space usable so i mean there's been multiple builds that we've done we did a corvette z06 in which we kind of you kind of have to use all the space in the back if you're going to do subs and amps and make it look mm -hmm. pretty but we we built in a dockable pvc thing that docks in where the top docks in at so he could put luggage and groceries and stuff there so if he's not showing it off he can use oh, the I space a hundred percent like normal and not mm -hmm. mess up or touch any of the things that we did. But if he goes to Cars and Coffee, he can pop that thing out. And now it's like this gorgeous system. But it's totally yeah. functional. Much like the Tesla 3 that we just did. The idea going into it is we we're going to do a corner sub. Once I saw the space and how deep the trunk was, I said, listen, it's going to sound way better if we build a traditional enclosure, put it towards the back seats, as long as you don't need a pass-through. You just let me know what you need this trunk for. He gave me measurements of a stroller that he has because he has a newborn child. He gave me the measurements of the stroller. And he said, as long as I can fit this in here, I'm good. Right? Mm -hmm. So obviously we built it to perfectly fit that without touching or ramming into what we built. Yeah. But even in cases like that, a lot of times we'll build a panel that maybe there's embedded magnets in the carpet that you can't see to where now this panel that that we build can now protect something if you are storing stuff. But when he goes to hide import nights, he can pull that panel out and show everything off. But in a functional yeah. sense, he can use this trunk and he can 
he can use it as a trunk. Like he can throw stuff in there. He doesn't have to delicately put the stroller in there. He can, mm-hmm. you know, you can throw it in there without worrying about he's going to mess anything up. Yeah. I, I think that's too, like that, that that's kind of like the, the next level of fabrication in, in my opinion. Like when you, when you're doing a bunch of, you know, crazy upgrades and you're adding all this stuff, but at the same time, the, the integrity of the car is still all there and the usability. I, I feel like that, that, that's something I really appreciate about both of your work is like, you know, the, the car is, is still a car. Like you can still use it, it can still be a daily driver. And even I did a, you know, this was a, a couple of years ago, but I did like more of a stealth build where uh, the subs were firing up in the trunk. It was like built into the, the spare tire well. And, um, which by the way, that car did not have a spare tire from the factory. So uh, it has oversized brakes. I'm sure you've run into that one too before where, oh, you took up the spare tire well. It's like, <laughs> so what, no, <laughs> not, not to cut you off or to derail this conversation, but when a yeah. client talks about the importance of a spare tire, what do you say? Triple A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless you live in well, the desert or somewhere yeah. where like you would be screwed if you didn't have a spare. But I mean, I think in today's day and age, me being a car guy, there's probably yeah. a 0% chance I would ever get out, pop a spare out, mm-hmm. take that little puny jack and try and rotate that thing around to jack up the car and put yeah. a spare on. I mean, with, with AT&T or Verizon or whatever phone service you have, whatever, whatever car insurance you have, you probably have one to five free toes a year, mm-hmm. right? And I can't yeah. even myself. I I'll probably get a flat tomorrow, but I can't even I remember. Yeah, I can't even remember the last time that I had to like do any kind of service like that, right? Without yeah. utilizing a free tow or something the, that I didn't have. The only downside to that, and and it's that most of the time, at least for us, AAA wants to put your spare tire on for you. They're yeah. not like necessarily. I mean, you you don't want to drag a car with an expensive rim up you know, up on a flatbed even or something yeah, that I, effect. But. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, we've come full, I feel like full circle with this conversation, but it, it, it kind of boils down to like what matters to you. Right. Yeah. So like, I rather have an awesome system in my car and like, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm an SPL guy by any means, but I want it to jam. Like I want, I want the subwoofers to be in the trunk and um, I've, I've never had a car where I've removed the spare. Actually this, this Jetta build that I'm working on right now, it has a pretty sizable enclosure in the trunk and, and you can still get at the spare. I made sure that you could still remove it and everything and that everything was serviceable. And, um, but even if I did want to take up the trunk or if some guy does take up, you know, the full trunk and gets rid of the spare, like that's his choice. Like maybe he only drives that car like once a month. That's his, 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 it's his, it's up to him to do. And, you know, to me, it's again, I'd rather have an awesome system. If I have to tow the car, if it costs a couple hundred bucks, that's the expense that I'm willing to take for having this upgrade in the, in right. And you'll get some clients that are adamant about that, yeah. about having the spare. And it's up to us to now come up with the design that yeah, exactly that, that a is that. I mean, that's that's like, you know, taking an, an, an interior designer of a house, right? You're going to, you're just not going to let them do whatever. You're going to say, okay, I like these colors. This is my style. Adapt yeah. to that. And that's what we're doing in all of these cases with all of these different clients. We're adapting to the style, how they use the car. And we're coming yeah. up with something that, you know, is going to one flow with the car, make it not look some like thing that was just thrown in there that had no thought behind it. But yeah, you know, that's, 
I feel like that's where the industry is nowadays. It's OEM integration. People care more about it looking like it's supposed to be there versus something that's just what we did in yeah. 2000 where everything was painted. Yeah, exactly. Like that to me, that's again, what sets apart, uh, you know, some of the higher end retailers and, and car audio installers is, is again, that like level of integration and engineering to make sure that if the client does have this ask that they do want to be able to use, you know, a certain feature of the car or retain something, you're able to do it. Cause I, I feel like there are some shops around still that unfortunately like the the focus during the sales process is purely like gear it's just gear yeah. it's not like what are you how, how are you using this car how do you want the system to sound yeah like, those are the like most important questions of what we do yeah. i can't even imagine selling anything without knowing those questions yeah yeah the yeah. gear the gear the gear is almost less important i feel like most of the cars at some point in the consultation there is some sort of compromise or question that you always have to ask the customer you know are you willing to get rid of this or can we put this i i had one recently where we put a base level control in everything that we do and i had this base level control i needed to mount in a very high-end car and i'm like it can go here it can go here it can go here and it was like nope 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 and absolutely don't want you to drill a hole there don't you drill a hole there don't want you to drill a hole here and what i ended up doing is I laid out in CAD a, a 3D pod that slipped on the backside of the dash panel and had a set screw from behind. And it so it sandwiched up on the dash panel and set screws from behind, no holes drilled. But we spent four and a half hours designing yeah. and uh, installing it so that we didn't have to drill a hole. But in that car, that was the right decision. And it was worth the extra money to the customer to get it done and not have to replace a part down the road. Right. Yeah. But but when you get that, that integration is invaluable, right? So like when I did the, es the job in the Escalade, when we were doing the motorized amp rack and things like that in that job, we removed obviously the third row seat and he was fine with that, right? He wanted to do something that was awesome, that had a lot of power, a lot of sub box and things like that. So we had to remove that third row seat, which he was cool with, right? So obviously the third row seat was motorized and there's buttons in the back. So I'm like, well, how fucking cool would it be if we use the motorized seat buttons to basically motorize the amp rack up and down? Because it's utilizing what is there in the car to perform whatever it is that you're doing on the car, right? It's keeping as mm -hmm. much things factory as possible. And I feel like that's where, that's where I feel like when I build things, that's where I try and exceed and advance. I feel like it's mm -hmm. more on the, the integration side. So if I'm doing a DSP controller, how do I not make it look like there's a DSP controller installed? Right, whether it's right. using smoked acrylic and having it behind it where you can't physically see the component of you know the Moscone controller, how do we hide it? How do we integrate it in to make it look like it's a part of the car? So I feel like that's been it, my biggest challenge is trying to advance those little things that you install in every vehicle in order to make it look integrated. Do Do you find that your clients are usually pretty receptive to because I'm. Here's a, here's again the thing. I feel like a lot of people, unless they saw the process, I mean, something like that. That's it's a lot so of much, labor. Yeah, it's like a lot of work. 
you're 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 no longer just taking two screws and drilling them through the bottom of the dash and mounting right. it underneath there. Like you have to design. Or some shops will hot glue it in like a pocket, and like <laughs> that's what yeah, that's what you get. But that I mean that's what's kind of great about the social media i feel like people can see like okay like that's next level your end result that you usually get so i'd I'd imagine for you it's it's probably a pretty easy sell that like hey we're gonna do this right like we're gonna make sure it's integrated properly that's a great thing about what you do on youtube is i feel like a lot of the people who are interested they're the same clients that i have they're the same same Mm -hmm. viewers for the most part you know the people who actually are clients are the same people watching your videos too. And they're they're mm-hmm. educating themselves before they make a decision. Much like if you and your wife right now want to buy a new Dyson vacuum, what are you going to do? You're going to go on Amazon and you're going to look at thousands of reviews of all the different Dyson models that they have <laughs> for five hours. Or I'd go to yeah, YouTube, watch yeah, a review. for five yeah. hours. <laughs> so you know that you make the best decision possible. That's where we're at as a culture. And that's what is happening in our industry. And there's people seeing what you do and that's now their new expectation of the product they should receive so we're seeing two things we're seeing people that are very unhappy with what they get from a shop and then they'll call me or gary or someone else and say hey i got this done at a shop i know it's wrong right because they're, they're watching your videos and they they know it's wrong based on what they got or based on their own experience and their own education, they know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to kind of interject there is, uh, you know, you mentioned the Dyson, but that's kind of like a product example. I, I think it's critical to to understand like the the service side of things too. Because like, like, let's say you look, let's say your heater stopped working or whatever. Like, it's not like you're just going to buy a new heater off Amazon. You're going to try to figure out how to fix it. So you like, you look up a mm-hmm. how-to video on YouTube and you're like, Okay, that's that's a lot of work. I don't have all that stuff, so I'm gonna hire a professional. But now you see the value. Right. You're like, okay, exactly. This guy's gonna have to come. He's gonna have to take the whole thing apart to replace this one little dinky part. But that's a ton of labor. Like it makes sense. So that that's what I, I mean. I've had a lot of shops tell me that that's what they like about the videos is, you know, people understand more. Like, hey, there's a ton of work that you know goes into this stuff. So if you want to do it, do it yourself. I mean. I, I'm a, I advocate for going for it, but you got to understand it's going to take a ton of time, and you know it, it does take experience to to learn. Yeah, I'll be the, the first to, to say, like, right. if I had to build a house, I feel like I'm good with tools and a good wood woodworker, but I'm not going to build a house like somebody who builds a house every day. Talk about wallpaper earlier yeah. in this podcast, right? When I hang that wallpaper with paste, that's the first time I'm. I've ever going to be doing it, right? I did that is it going to turn out good? I hope so, because I feel like I'm pretty critical. But at the end of the day, is it going to be like somebody I could hire to do it? Probably not. And I'll be the first to admit that. Yeah. You know, I'm not just going to yeah. do wallpaper and slay it like I've been doing it for 20 years. It's probably <laughs> going to have a lot of issues. Have you, have you gotten any yeah. horror stories, Mark, like feedback from people that are like, watch your video and like, hey, I tried to do that and it ended up like this and, you know, like anything like that? Um, not not that I can think of offhand. I'm sure it's happened, but maybe people don't want to don't want to say it. Yeah, I mean, I I try to be pretty detailed, so I I, I think that you know the people that that want to do it, they know like okay, I I can figure this out, but it's gonna take work. How Have you ever done a contest or anything with your with your like a build off between your subscribers? 
No, that's that's another oh, that's idea good. I've had though. Yeah, I wanted good. to Yeah, cuz Instagram added this like cool feature now where you can like vote and stuff. So uh, I I thought it would be cool to do, then like, do like a like battle the builds. Yeah. Yeah, you could probably have yeah, like have yeah, audio control sponsor it and then do a giveaway. Yeah. It all comes down to time. I mean, you oh, guys man, know dude, options, it's but... so difficult and I thought I thought it was yeah. super smart when Gary and I talked about doing a podcast <laughs> and I realized how now much we're extra like, work. Oh, we're doing that again. Yeah, I mean, people don't see the behind the behind the scenes. I mean, it, it, let's say the podcast, for example. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been thinking about like what what you want to talk about throughout the day to day, and like the same goes for we, for we just wing videos. it. We don't, like, we don't I, prep at all. That's yeah, we do. definitely don't prep. Oh, no, you're full of it. No, hundred percent. We actually don't think bit. at all. We just no. Again, so here's well, the cool thing about, about the- our industry, right? I feel like any time that yeah. like Gary and I chat on the phone, right? This same conversation happens. If you and I chat at Knowledge Fest, this same conversation happens. So for us, we're we're used to this. So I mean, we can just go into it like a phone call. Yeah. And that's kind of how I said to you, like it's kind of based around like if we're on the phone chatting about things or sitting at like a knowledge fest talking, yeah. that's where the conversation goes. It's supernatural, it's organic. I feel like you can't pre-plan it, pre-plan it anything. But I yeah. feel like in your case, it's super hard with YouTube because you have to like, especially with you, because you're teaching people, I feel like you are opening yourself to criticism. So you have to make sure that you hit every angle so you're not criticized. Yeah. I mean, the live thing is nice. I mean, I mean, obviously we're not doing this live right now, but um, you know, just the fact that we're bouncing off each other live, if you will, you know, the content comes together uh, organically, like, like you mentioned, but um, I mean, there's the thing with the videos. Like I do a lot of behind the scenes, like scripting and like I have an endless list of ideas and like putting together a checklist of what points I want to hit in a video and like how I want to tell the story. And um, you know, then the editing behind the scenes and, and even all, all the thought process that goes into like what, what I'm going to title the video so that people will actually find it, you know, and watch it and like the thumbnail imagery. And there's just, there's so much stuff behind the scenes that, you know, isn't really seen. It's, it's so much more than just turning on a, a camera and kind of hitting record and then uploading it. But I mean, it's all, it's all good, but there's it's, quite a bit it's of like the difference between so. matt doing a system and somebody putting just a set of speakers in a car it's it's kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah well and that, that's the hard thing behind some of these uh these stealthy systems and you know like tom miller especially comes to mind some of the stuff that he does like it's well all, you know all mm-hmm. you guys but some him especially some of the stuff it's just like it it can look so oem yeah, what, and what so exactly well did you do? integrated yeah. that you would have no idea. You would literally have no idea. And people would be like, what? Like, why is that? It's so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> expensive in quotes. Yeah. Can you way, imagine how we, much we time the OEM that. has to create and design those door panels? Right. So when when um, we have the job at TAS to have, you know, half, not even half, like one thousandth of the tools that the manufacturer has and we have to design and create something that looks like it's supposed to be there and it has to be functional it has to be appropriate for for the car that takes time and that's the biggest i would say that's the biggest time waster with me with youtube is for instance i have like a ford excursion console on there that i built to look like a real console 
And mm-hmm. the amount of time that that takes is like five, six days of labor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With designing it, with creating it, with making it functional, with plugging and playing with the car, all that kind of stuff. So when you do the when you do the math, that's like a six to eight thousand dollar console, right? When mm-hmm. you can go out there and you can buy a Eddie Bauer console for the same car for four hundred bucks on eBay, and that people's expectation yeah. that your console might be a thousand bucks, right? But when you do yeah. the math and you're like, dude, this is created from from nothing to include all the stuff that you want to include. And it's like seamless with the car to look like a brand new console. We're we're almost underselling it at that point. If you think about how yeah. much time is taken to actually create the console that was in the car from the beginning. Yeah. And and by the way, there's only one. It's not like you're mass exactly. producing it. That's that's another thing a lot of people don't understand is like how much like, how much shipped to Australia for that sub box. I'm just like right. huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. mass producing them. Yeah, when when you make when you make one of something, like it's going to be a thousand times more the cost of when, like per part of when you're making a thousand of something. <laughs> like like the cost comes down substantially when you when you are manufacturing. So, and and the same can be said for car audio gear too. Like if you're it, people, they don't know that like the reason that some of the high end gear cost what it does is because. One, there's so much mm-hmm. R&D into that piece of gear that, you know, there's endless pieces of, of prototypes that they've thrown away. That cost has to be recuperated somehow. They have engineers that they've been paying. That That's an expense that has to be recuperated Yeah, we were somehow. just talking to and, Nick about and, the Utopia M, and I think he threw out the number of like three to five million for just the Utopia. I don't know if it's all the speakers or whatever, but he, yeah, I mean, size, he was just yeah. saying that it's like three to five million to create the, the new Utopia, right? to go through all that. Mm -hmm. And that's also another thing that I use in the sales process of saying why I use the companies that I do. And for me, a lot of companies, they spend their R and D bucks and they focus their R and D money to like really one side of what they do. Right. Cause there's a lot of companies out there that build a lot of stuff, but you know, you'll have a company like Focal, right. They've spent the R and D to make, some of the world's best sounding home drivers. And it's crazy to not think that that wouldn't trickle down to every speaker that they make because they learn so much valuable information with that R and D in making a speaker that obviously it's going to trickle down to all of everything else that they make. So that's kind of like a big selling point when it comes to exactly what, from what company are you buying? Because, you know, Gary and I have talked about like JL, they make a, they make a sub that you could probably throw in a cardboard box that it comes in and it would say, <laughs> and it would, pr- it's pr- sound good. It would sound awesome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I mean like yeah. they've mastered that. They figured that out. Oh, and, and by the way, if you look at the side of their packaging, it lists like four patents that they have for that particular exactly. subwoofer. Like, like there is so much value in engineering. And I, I think, you know, I, I see a lot of the the conversation of like this brand versus this brand. I, I try not to get you know too involved with it, but a, a lot of people they don't know that if I wanted to start a speaker brand, I can literally call up an overseas build house. I can submit a JPEG logo, and I can tell them what like how much power handling I want and like what color I want the sub to be, and I can have a subwoofer lineup yep. tomorrow. 
I can have a whole container of subs here. Like people don't, and there's a lot of companies that yeah, that's that what is they do. the full, like that is their quote unquote R and D process. I call up the, I call up and I say, I want to handle 500 Watts and I want a, a big magnet on it. Cause people purchase based on the size of magnets still. You went flames <laughs> like, on the, you know, on, like, on the, on the, on the basket because yeah. Audiobond didn't exist anymore. I feel I feel like you're talking shit because I used to work for one of those companies a long time ago. I mean, there, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that business model, but like it, it kind of irks me when when uh, like you, you'll read some of the the promotional stuff on those kind of websites, and it'll be like, you know, it's just to me as an engineer, it's like so clear that it's all like promotional jargon where it's just like oh oversized magnet and underrated and like blah 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 and it, i i just feel like i can see through it and i i wish more people understood I wish there was more honesty like in true, the world true you know what i'm saying and, because yeah that that comes yeah. down to the whole sales process and gary and i had talked about this too is where if a client calls and says listen i got three grand i want to do a full system in a mercedes like a 2018 mercedes right at the end of the day it you can't physically recreate something better than that car has for that amount of money to, to really do a, a DSP speakers, amps, all that kind of stuff and really get the return on the investment of what that client is spending. So rather than saying, listen, you're right. I have a $3,000 option for you, right? I have a perfect $3,000 option for you. It's it, you're lucky because I have that s- sitting here ready to go. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you that like, yeah. I'm going to educate you, tell you why and what has to happen in order to make the car sound better. And unfortunately, it's going to be something more like this. Not only in that conversation are you educating, you're building trust because it's hard in today's world for somebody to tell you, listen, you know, I don't want to just take your money. I, I want you to be happy with when you spend your money, right? right. Um, so I think that's the big part of today because... You'll have a shop that'd be like, yeah, I got a, I'll sell you an SNI 35 LOC <laughs> on your amplified system. We'll melt it to like goo and, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll throw yeah, some we'll, speakers in there. We won't do a DSP. We'll throw this and, prefab speaker box in the back yeah, that you won't be able to hear. And then, yeah, from. it's a mess. So I, I feel like there's so much just like <laughs> to sell car audio today, you have to spend time to educate. And I feel like you do a great job of that. And maybe that perfectly wraps up the, the podcast because you do a great job in trying to, <laughs> <Thanks>. trying <laughs> to look at every angle of what audio is in modern cars. And you try and educate the client in order to have them prepped when they go to a shop to understand what's entailed versus the guy mm-hmm. that calls in and knows nothing. And he was envisioning his system to cost $1,500 to change a bunch of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's yeah. five grand. So let me ask you this too. Like how much, because obviously I feel like YouTube, it's it's strange in that like everything has to be clickbaity for somebody to actually click yeah. on it. So how much time are you spending on thumbnails and things like that for each video? That's almost like as important as the video itself to actually get somebody to click on it. Do you do do you do any kind of Google yeah. ads or is everything just kind of organic? No, everything's organic. I've always kind of been against um, the ads because I I feel like some of these companies, they learn if you're willing to, to spend money yeah, then to they try won't to promote, promote your it. content. Yeah, I, yeah. but... Um, I, I don't know how true that is. I just, <laughs> that's kind of a, a suspect. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way too. But 
Yeah, but um, I would say uh, a lot of a lot of my content is very planned out, so I, I kind of know ahead of time. Like I'm kind of shooting for a, a thumbnail, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like I I, I kind of already have like an idea, like what I want to be like that that value proposition and that hook um, before I'm even shooting the video. And then sometimes that will evolve as I shoot the video and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe it's more interesting to show this. So, you know, it, it, it can change, but um, it's, and it's hard to put like a, an exact, you know, time on how long it takes. But I mean, I I've spent, we'll, we'll put it this way. I've spent like easily two hours before like messing around mm-hmm. with a thumbnail. Like, uh, should I show this? Should I like highlight this part of the picture? So it pops more and, you know, um, it, it, and for titles too, like, like thinking about, okay, like what are the first like three words that are in this title that are going to like get somebody interested? Big base question. Exactly. Mark, or like, so I feel it, like that's is, the kind is, of thing that sucks about like me trying to play yeah. that game is I have to say yep. shit. Like, is this the best sounding Tesla? You know, just because it's yeah. like, that's, what's going to make people click on it to see it. And unfortunately, yep. if you just don't have that, <laughs> you're not going to get the same. Yeah. And, and and so here here's my opinion on that too because I, I used to feel bad about it right people would be like oh that you know like your title is so clickbaity but the thing is like the whole reason I'm making videos is because like I want people to watch right. them you know and I, I I'm not like putting like a pretty girl in my thumbnail and then like you watch the video and like that girl was like nowhere. right right because right. people would so you're saying me, when you show the pretty me, girl she's sketch. in the video that's what you're yeah. saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I, it's my wife and she's gorgeous. So, you know, if you, <laughs> if she listens to this, you know, I just scored <laughs> extra points, but, uh, but no, uh, you know, I just, I try not to be scummy about it. And I, I don't think it is like, if you put, is this the best sounding Tesla? Like that's going to get somebody to actually click it. And like, to be honest, like, I mean, I'm a little biased cause you're my buddy, but like, I feel like you're going to have a far better video for them to truly like get an understanding of like right, what it is right. for a Tesla sound sound system versus this guy that's just a he's just a vlogger he has like five million followers or whatever and like tesla let him drive a car for a day and like you know what i mean like who's gonna really give the better experience so is it clickbait if you deliver on good content i don't think so like the the point of making a a good thumbnail is so people click it i'm that's the whole thing i'm baiting you i want you to click it so have you tried? So, have you tried yeah. that uh, reverse psychology? Don't click on this base video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see that. That's like another example. Like, yeah, that's it's kind of that is clickbait yeah. to me. But so we'll yeah. end on this. Something that people don't know about the both of us, you and I, Mark, is that we were at. Yeah. I think you're still an avid paintball player, or no? Okay, so yeah, yeah, I was an avid paintball player when I was probably 12 to 16, and I played professionally for a little bit. What is the best gun, paintball gun Uh, of all time that you think existed? Yeah, um, like if you can point to one gun and say this was like the creme de la creme of paintball. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it's interesting that you asked this. I kind of, or you, you mentioned it because it's kind of cool. I don't think a lot of people know that at all. But, but yeah, big in, big into paintball for several years. But um, yeah, I mean, back in the day, like everyone talked about the mm-hmm. angel, right? Like that was the best gun. But I turned into a, a big uh, die mm-hmm. fanatic. Anyone out there that yeah. play, has played yeah, paintball, a- anyone know, knows, like yeah, the Matrix. A- anyone knows. So. 
Yeah, yeah. So the M2, M3, that's that's my current go-to. I feel like they've kind of lost the market share. Gary's looking like totally <laughs> yeah. lost right now because he has no idea right what we're talking head. about. He's checking email. I feel right like now. they're more. I was watching yeah, YouTube. What like are you talking more, about? <laughs> Die is definitely more boutique now, but yeah, that's that's my go-to. Yeah, I don't even know I, where the current every, status of paintball really sits, but I would yeah. say my favorite gun of all time, and I and I I'll still. Auto yeah. cocker. You're gonna I say still, it. I, yep. I still search eBay to try and find the exact gun that I used to play with all the time. It was a yeah. uh, Shock Tech SFL auto cocker, oh, and it God, was dude, so that's, that's... silly. And this is coming from the team that I was with, Team Adrenaline, where we had a angel called the Adrenaline Angel. So we had our own version of yeah. The... You guys had custom yeah. milled gun. Yeah, you you had an impulse, yeah, yeah. adrenaline so, impulse. I I wanted that one too. They, <laughs> dude, it's no, it's, it's fun. I miss it. I miss it that. so much. I feel like it's one of those things. Like it's riding a bike, dude. I haven't played in, yeah, probably fifteen years. But I feel like if you were to just put me on a speedball court course right now, yeah. I feel like you know I'm just running to the fifty, the sixty, kamikazing up the sideline, <laughs> taking as many people Let's out as it, possible. Man. You got to come out and we're that. I know yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. We'll, we'll bring Gary. Gary you ever I, I have not. Before? And I was, while you guys were having that talk, uh, I was on Google looking at, I wanted to pop off with the, well, what do you guys think about this one? Just out of the blue. But everything uh, I found was like intermediate. Parts? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm surprised because the scene in California is, that's like the the paintball scene is well, California. It's funny too. I feel out. like whenever There's I talk about hotels paint- in the area. I feel like whenever yeah. I talk about paintball <laughs> with people, like you and I can talk about paintball, like uh, competition paintball. Yeah. And then there's the crowd that like plays in the woods with, with camo and body yeah. armor. Yeah, let's let's be clear. I'm not like a Milsim yeah. player. I have nothing against those guys, but that's just not my style. I play the speedball yeah. like Maddie, <laughs> you know, fat, fast and adrenaline packed and the, the markers yep. shoot quick. Yeah, you're not in the woods so. with like a, a body vest on and... <laughs> a ghillie suit <laughs> hiding in the leaves <laughs> oh my god nope. no this was a, yeah it's it was a fun. it was a fun yeah. little talk and i i always feel like we could always yeah. do this forever but obviously we always yeah, have to cut can, it off we at can some do point. it for days can i do a shout yeah, out like yeah, d- big shout out to you guys. Like, uh, you know, I, I've definitely followed your work over the years and, you know, from the crazy fiberglass creations of, of Sir Gary Bell. and Gary's you know, the, Gary's the like OG, Matt. you know, one of the OGs of just all, yeah. straight up. Yeah. Of body filler, I would say. <laughs> He's got so many body filler yeah, stories. Then, just wait till you hear the yeah. podcast with him and uh, with him and Steve. That was that was oh, a good gosh. one. A lot, a lot of body filler talk. Oh yeah, I got. I I can't. That, that I was can't a good wait, one. I'm sure. Yeah. So so shout out to you guys. Shout out to Brian Schmidt, of course, Mobile Solutions, and all the all the boys, and uh, you know all the sponsors of the channel. I really appreciate them for making making it so I can make videos full time for everyone. And big shout out to all the the fans, all the followers. Appreciate those yeah, guys, keep, especially keep doing what you do. We're so. just trying to reach out to everyone with. Because I feel like these conversations happen, you know, often, but they're just not recorded. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, and it's a cool way yeah, to like sure. keep in touch with a lot of different people, right? Because like I feel like with yeah. some of the people we've had on, I don't, I don't really know their backstory, how they got into it. So it's like kind of fun to hear that stuff and just kind of chat organically about the whole thing, and then also catch back up on you know normal life. So it's fun. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, I wish you guys the best. Yeah. Let's keep it going. Maybe I can uh, come yeah, on again sure. sometime soon. This was uh, this was awesome, and and yeah, we definitely again appreciate what you do, and and we've had some fun times yeah. together, and so we'll uh, we'll do this again. Cool, cool, for sure. I can't wait for this to all be over, and we can actually hang out in person. Yeah, and... <laughs> again, yeah. we can travel. But yeah, One of these days. All right, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Skip, skip. And I-